Turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. This morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. We'll look at 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is God's holy and an errant word. I ask you a question, men. How near are you to God? How intimate is your relationship with God? If you could describe your relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how close, how close are you to God? Oftentimes we, we treat God as though He is some sort of official, an, an elected official maybe, that you support and that you're on the team and you back. But you wouldn't say you are close to Him. You wouldn't say that you have an intimate relationship with Him because that is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, let us draw near to God. In my relatively short ministry, I've only been in ministry for, let's see, uh, eight years. Uh, I think Sandy has me beat, beaten by uh, several years. So my mom's age, so that helps you give, give a little... I'm glad he's not here. He would not appreciate that. But I would say in, in my ministry, especially to men... I have come to notice that we often talk about God and godly things and relationship to God and being moral and the Bible and Christianity. But I often encounter, when, especially when, when I'm in the church, men that want to be close to God. They want an intimate relationship with God, but they almost think of that as unattainable. They don't classify their relationship to God or really to anyone else as being one that is close and intimate, where they are known and where they can come before God with confidence. The writer of Hebrews is saying that nearness to God is essential for your own perseverance in the faith. Now, we, of course, believe that, that those who are saved are saved to the very end. You can't lose your salvation, but those who have saving faith persevere to the end by the power of the Holy Spirit. But did you know that persevering faith is marked by an intimate, near relationship to the living God? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're trying to answer that question. Is your relationship with God 
intimate. We're going to talk about three things. The problem with drawing near to God. The power to draw near to God. And then finally, the practice of drawing near to God. The problem, the power, and the practice. Men, our churches, our families, our city will only be as strong and as renewed and as restored as our personal, intimate relationship with the living God is. And I believe y'all believe that because you're here this morning. So let's talk about what the problem is. Why aren't we closer to God? Why do we have this relationship as though, yeah, I'm, I'm for God, I believe in God, and I back what He's doing. I believe in the truth of the Word. But am I intimately related to Him? What's the problem there? I want you to first notice when the writer of the Hebrews calls the holy places... In verse 19, uh, in the NIV, it's the holy, most holy place. We have confidence now to enter the most holy place. I want, you to sh- I want to tell you that the first problem with why we're not closer to God is that we don't really truly understand His holiness. When the writer of Hebrews is talking about the most holy place, and I know you're in Deuteronomy right now with Sandy, He is talking about the most sacred, the most untouchable place that you could possibly imagine. In the earthly temple, it was the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was only visited once a year. It was shut off. It was at the innermost part of the temple and it was shut off from the rest of the temple. It was pitch black dark. It contained only the Ark of the Covenant. And the great high priest, after he had thoroughly washed his body, that was the only time that he could enter into the most holy place in the temple. It was the only time. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that there is a place that is even greater than the most holy place. He said the, the, the tabernacle was just a shadow of God's most holy place in heaven. And what the writer is saying is that we have the right to enter into the most holy place. In other words, when it comes to God's holiness, you're not invited. You ever been somewhere and you know that you weren't invited, you weren't supposed to be there? Or you've been sort of an intruder in a very sacred moment. You know you need to withdraw. Like, I'm not supposed to be a part of this right here, right now. I need to move back. This is a holy moment. I'll tell you when that is. A year ago, there was a man saying goodbye to his wife of almost 60 years as he was kissing his loved one, his sweet, precious bride. 34-year-old pastor is not invited to that moment. It was a sacred moment. You just knew that you had to step out of that moment. This is not a place for you to be. And the first thing I want us to understand is one of the main problems with why we are not near to God is that we don't understand how absolutely transcendent He is. We have kind of bought this sort of Santa Claus version of God. This sort of nice, friendly version of God. 
and not this transcendent, you are not invited, most holy place of God. The Jews, the Hebrews understood this. Sacred place. Okay, what does that mean for us? It means that when we encounter the most holy God, we are crushed. Crushed. Isaiah 6. Do you know in Isaiah 6, when he comes and he sees this picture, the most holy God, he has entered into the most holy place. He is, the Lord is filling the room with his glorious robe And the angels, the seraphim and the cherubim, literally these flaming ones, that's what their names are. They're just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the only time in the the Hebrew scriptures where the word holy is mentioned three times in a row. That's a way of saying exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. He is saying that God is infinitely holy, holy, holy. And what does Isaiah do? He says, I'm dead. He comes before the holy God and he says, I am undone. Woe to me. He's actually pronouncing woe. When a prophet would pronounce woe, it meant curse. He's saying, I am complete vapor in light of this holy God. I cannot stand before him. If you've truly encountered, here, first of all, if you've truly encountered the living God, not the concept but the person of the living God, you have come to know one thing. You are lost. You are undone. You feel, I am not worthy to be before you. The only time we can entertain ideas of power and righteousness and goodness on our own part is when God is a mere concept. When the real God shows up, we're crushed by Him. Okay, what does that mean for us right now? When we talk about the problem of drawing near to God. Some of you have what the writer of Hebrews calls a guilty conscience. Some of you have a guilty conscience and you have that guilty conscience alone. One that condemns you. That knows that you've done wrong. That knows that you have sinned as a father. Now we can come into a group like this. We can have uh, uh, lunches and be in our businesses and, and go about our day. But deep down there's a private self an inner self that condemns you, uh, that you know in your heart of hearts that you are, have wrong and you, you've been wrong and you've wronged others. You have a guilty conscience about your, some of your business practices. Maybe about the way you've spoken to your wife. The things that you've looked at on the computer or in your hotel room. And so this idea of drawing near to God, you start thinking, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to. I'm on the team. <laughs> go for it, God. I'm going I'm to come to Amen Bible study. And then I'm going to go to church too. I'm, I'm like a first string Christian. Come on, guys. 
But as far as me being near to God, I'm not even going to go there because my conscience is, is, is guilty. You have unconfessed sin in your life. Things that you've not owned. Maybe things in your family. Real things in your family. I've noticed something. The ministry, men especially, they'll have things in their family come way, way, way back. Hurts. Disappointments. Way back in their family. And they'll carry them to them. And, and 50, 60 year old men, in their heart, they're still 13. Addictions, secrets. Some of you probably live with a constant anxiety you really can't put your finger on. Some of you are running. That's the problem. How do you draw near to the most holy, holy, holy God when you're running from everything? Are you running to try to overcompensate by working long hours? Running because you're enslaved of having to go to the next rung of the ladder? Deep down, you know that you don't have the slightest prayer of entering into the presence of the Most Holy God. So this idea of a preacher coming up to you and saying, how intimate is your relationship with God? How close and how near are you to God? And you know deep down, there's a lot of stuff in my life that I haven't come to. And that is, I have not looked at my sin and called it what it is. That's the problem. It weighs you down. And the charade we play around here, like we aren't falling into the same sins that everyone else is. Like somehow, we want to give off this, this picture, especially in the ministry. Oh, don't even be around ministers. We're the worst. We're unbearable. And somehow, we have graduated. I've graduated. I've graduated from wanting to look at pornography. No. I'm sorry that you do. I've graduated from Losing my temper at my wife. I've, I've graduated from, from needing certain things. I've somehow graduated from those things. And that's what we do in a churchy culture like East Memphis. But at night, or in those silent moments when you would like to draw near to God, you know, I haven't graduated from it. That's the problem. It's the problem I see in my church. It's the problem I see in my life. It's the problem I see with my friends. So surely there's some overlap there, here. So what's the power? What's the power? If we really just started being honest, really honest about who we are, where we are, our brokenness, if we were really, what's, what's the power to draw near? Where, well, let me look at verse 19 again. Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place or the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And that's a familiar saying, the blood of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is not talking about the earthly temple anymore. He's talking about the most holy place. I want you to listen to what he's saying. He's saying that you, Memphian, man, with all your problems, 
and all your sins, no matter what they are, he's saying that you have confidence. Let me think about confidence for a second. You know confident people. They just tell you how it is. I'm confident. In fact, this word here for confidence means the same word as plain. I'm going to tell you plainly. In fact, this word used in the New Testament is the word that used for, for Jesus when he just spoke plainly and publicly. Here's the way it is. He would just stop and start speaking confidently, Jesus Christ would. That's what this word means. It also means boldness. So I want you to keep in mind the problem that you have. And now listen to this. He's saying that you now have confidence. Not just I'm not, I'm not talking about cowering. I want you to listen to this. I, I'm not talking about, well, uh, maybe the mayor will see me today. I'll be on a waiting list. Maybe I'll get in. Maybe, uh, Hopefully, maybe I know somebody who knows somebody and I'll get to see God. Maybe I can be near to God, right? He's saying that you can go to God personally with confidence. With boldness. But it's different than the kind of confidence that we often have. It's not self-confidence. It's confidence in the blood. He is saying that the only reason we have any confidence is because we have one thing that makes us righteous. And it's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is so precious, so powerful that sinful men, and I'm talking about real sins with names and with dates, your real sin, that because of the blood of Jesus, you can enter the, remember the most holy place? You can enter the most holy place with God. Right up to the most holy place because you have confidence in the blood of Jesus, not in your performance. Not in how well you're doing with your ministry. The blood of Jesus which flowed out of His dying body outside Jerusalem was and is the blood of the second person of the Trinity. The blood of bulls and goats just pointed to this blood. This blood is precious. This blood is matchless. This blood has no comparison. This blood enables us, no matter what you've done or who you are, this blood enables you. Listen to this. The reason you're not close to God is because you don't see your sin and it's because you don't have confidence in the blood. That's where intimacy comes from. Nearness. Jesus Christ had the eternal priesthood. Has the eternal priesthood. It never goes out. That's why he says in in verse 20, a new and living way has been opened for us through the curtain that is his body, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is Jesus Christ became utterly vulnerable Utterly vulnerable, the most vulnerable person on the cross, arms wide open and his blood, his very blood flowed out of him. 
so that you could be near and not far. See, Jesus Christ is a champion. How bold is your trust? How bold is your trust in the blood of Jesus? See, Jesus Christ is the great hero. I love baseball. I still think that the home run is the coolest, most wonderful thing ever in any sport ever. I mean, come on. Think about this. It's who, who hasn't at some point in their life dreamed of hitting a home run and, and winning, the whole, winning the game? I was actually at a playoff game one time, and I saw a guy hit a home run. It was Jim Edmonds, bottom of like the 12th, St. Louis Cardinals. Any Cardinal fans in here? Right, good, good. Jim Edmonds hits a walk-off home run. I have these awesome seats because my brother had somehow gotten them. And it was a surreal moment. The, the ball is just, it's just, it's, we won. This guy hit a home run and he's trotting around the bases. And we're, I'm hugging random people. It's, it's the most glorious occasion. I was just thinking about, the other day I was thinking about how Christ's victory on the cross is the shot heard around the world. You know the shot heard around the world? Bobby Thompson, Brooklyn Dodgers, 1951. That's where that phrase comes from. Actually, the New York Giants beat the Brooklyn Dodgers. Some of you trivia nuts probably knew that. Bobby Thompson hits the game-winning home run. And it's called the shot heard around the world because it sent them to the, to the World Series and it's the shot heard around the world. I want you to think of something. Remember your sin. Remember the problem. Remember your guilty conscience. And the reason you're not close to God, the reason you don't have an intimate relationship with God, the nearness that you need to persevere until the end, I want you to realize something. Jesus Christ stepped up to the plate and He sent one straight over the right field fence. And he went around the bases. And, and, and folks, do you know that when someone hits a home run, we all, we all buy the hats. And we all say, we won. We won. Right? We, have all this, we have confidence, right? We have confidence. Our team won. We can, we can just smear it in everyone's face. We won. We won. Really? You ate popcorn and drank beer? We won? We say Jesus Christ is the power for coming near. How powerful do you think the blood of Jesus really is? We won. We won. We won. Some of us are looking at our sin. And it's keeping us away from God. And you need to be looking at the champion. With boldness. Not this namby-pamby, I might be forgiven. You need to walk right into the office and say, I have the blood of Jesus. And when you fall down again and again, just like we all are, and we're struggling with sins, we've been struggling, it seems like, for a century. Same old besetting sins. The blood is precious. The blood is precious. The blood is precious. And you keep saying, I have confidence. I don't have confidence in myself. I have confidence in the blood. That's the power. You want, to be, you want to be men that are close to God? You be men that come under the blood. The champion. What about the practice as we 
What's the practice of drawing near to God? In verses 20 and 21, he says we have a new and living way. There's a living faith. God is calling us in this passage to look up. This is so important for us to understand. Your Christianity did not begin and stop when you made a commitment to Jesus. When you finally understood your sin and you walked the aisle or you signed a card or you did something which was very important and very meaningful. But your, that transaction over and over and over again, that needs to be happening day in, day out. That's what a new and living way, having our hearts sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Your sin is bad. It's actually worse than you think it is. And Steve Brown used to say, cheer up, you're a bigger sinner than you think. And people would come into him and say, oh, I've done this and it's just so terrible. I can't believe I did this. And he was like, really? You're worse than you think you are. Thank you. That'll be $50. Who are we, who are we kidding? Our sin is so grievous that Jesus Christ was struck dead for it. As Robert Murray McShane used to say, the old Scottish preacher said that for every one look at your sin, look ten times at Jesus. What does it mean to be sprinkled clean? This is what the priest did. The priest did. He would, he would sprinkle the blood. And, and, and you all know because you're studying Deuteronomy and some of the other Old Testament books that it was a bloody affair when he sprinkled the blood. It, was a, it wasn't this nice Presbyterian affair, right? Here's a little blood. We'll, here's a napkin. Here's a Kleenex. Don't get it on you. He was throwing blood everywhere. Everything had to be covered with the blood. Everything was dripping with blood. It was, dis, it was, it was disgusting. And it was a reminder that, that this should be my blood. But the writer is saying that something better has happened. That because of Christ's continual priesthood, He is the priest that never goes out. He doesn't have to go in one time. It's a continual priesthood. That is, His blood is constantly making us clean over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I would say this, the most important practice for us of men of perseverance is to be open and honest about our guilt. Don't act like you're not struggling with sin. John actually calls you a liar if you do that. But he's saying the most important practice is for us to own that sin, to be honest about it, to be honest about it with someone that you trust too, but to make a practice of coming under the blood of Jesus. No matter what it is, make a practice. This is the practice. Men, the reason we still feel guilty, the reason we still harbor those things, is that we in our minds and in our hearts, we are not coming under the blood of Jesus Christ again and again. We are not having confidence that the blood of Jesus can be cleansing us continually over and over and over again. Francis Schaeffer, many of you have heard that name. I used to own a collection of his letters. 
There was a woman who struggled with a guilty conscience so much that she was practically paralyzed in her life. She just couldn't do anything. Because of things that had happened to her and things that she had done, she couldn't, she couldn't lift up her eyes to God and she so wanted to be close to God, but it made it worse. And Francis Schaeffer said, you must begin the practice of coming under the blood. When those thoughts rise in your heart and those, those, those memories keep coming back, bring it under the blood. Bring it under the blood. There's no other place to take it. You keep continually bringing that sin under the blood of Jesus. We have great sin, folks. We have great sin, but here's the problem. Our Jesus has been too little. So we're trying to find other things to compensate and to enable us to draw near to God and nothing will ever do it. I don't care how many Bible studies you're a part of. The blood of Jesus makes you safe. When I was a little boy growing up in Arkansas, we often had tornadoes. I'll never forget one time I was probably eight or nine years old and there was one of these Arkansas tornadoes and we were out with my mother, me and my two brothers. We're out with my mom and driving around Little Rock. And then we could hear the sirens going off and you know the sky turns that green, purple, yellow color. The sky of doom. And we're all freaking out. My mom's crying. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're just going to be blown away in this Oldsmobile. How safe do you feel in an Oldsmobile in an Arkansas, Arkansas tornado? Mom says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to drive to the hospital where your dad works. It's this big old school hospital, like brick upon brick, just brick, like a bunker. There's no way a nuclear holocaust could happen. It wouldn't blow this thing away. And so there we are, we're just making our way. My mom and her three little boys, and we're all just running in, and we run in, and I'll never forget, I was crying. I was scared to death. We walk in, and my dad sees that I'm crying. And you know what he does? He goes up to that wall, and he hits it. He says, Richie, you see that? You, you see these bricks? You see that? There are so many bricks in here. You are safe in here, son. And do you know why you can come near to God? With all your stuff. With all of it. There's no fine print here. All your stuff. Do you know why you can come near to God according to this passage? It's because you are safe in Jesus. There is no safer place to be. You're so safe in Jesus. You can go to the most holy place. That's what this passage means. You know that even in heaven... Okay, well, maybe in heaven we get to graduate from this and we can have our own righteousness, right? Maybe then, maybe then finally we can draw near to God because we're good enough, right? That's the kind of way we think about it. We have our halos and our little guitar things, right? That's what we think of when we think of heaven, which is so silly and cartoonish. Maybe then, maybe then I'll have the right to draw near to God. Maybe then I will be able to be intimate with God. But you know, that's not even true. Do you know that in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, I want you to read, listen to what the writer of Revelation, John, says in John 7, 14. They're, they're around the throne room of God. And the Lord said, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You will never outgrow your need for the blood of Jesus. So let's start now. Do you want to be close to God, closer to God than you are right now? Do you have a guilty conscience? Do you need to bring that guilty conscience under the blood of Jesus and become a man of confidence in that blood? Be a man that practices over and over again the blood of Jesus to coming back to the cross. My granddad had a farm with cows. I'll never forget that these cows had this trail. You know how cows are. They go to the same little thing, these cow trail. They, they go the same place back and forth. And there was one trail that was so packed and so defined because it was the trail between the field and where my granddad would dump the slops. We call them slops. All the leftovers, all the, the, the stuff from the table, he would, they would dump it. And these, these cows would make this, this trail between the field and the fence. And it was so well worn. It had ruts. It was, it was so defined because they had walked it so many times back and forth, back and forth. Do you want to be, if you want to have an intimate relationship with God and not just have this distant sort of, I believe in God, but I can't be close to him. If you want to have an intimate relationship with God, you and I have a new and living way. And you need to make it look like a cow trail between you and the cross of Jesus. The most important thing you need, more than you need a new car, a new promotion. What you need is a clean conscience. If you have a clean conscience before God, you have everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, do you know that as I'm praying this, I'm asking for that. Lord, I want you to revive these men and I want you to renew our city. We know we have to start with our guilt, with your holiness, and have confidence in the blood. Make us men of bold confidence in the blood of Jesus, not in our attainments, not in our works, but men who have extravagant, outrageous trust in the blood of Jesus that we can enter the most holy place no matter what we've done. We can be like David when we have committed a great sin. We come to you and say, according to your loving kindness, according to your covenant, blot out my transgression. We can have confidence because Jesus Christ has died and he has risen and he's coming back. Pray that you'd bless these men and their families. I pray that you'd bless them in their work. I pray that you'd make us men that love each other and that know each other. Would you do that for us, Lord Jesus? In your precious name we pray. Amen.